McShane Bible Study, day 202, and we're starting in Judges 4. And this is the story of Deborah and Barak, and we just studied this as a family two days ago, didn't we? So it's, uh, uh, don't feel like talking about it a ton again, but so, Deb, I, I don't know, this, this verse stood out to me this time, six. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So, uh, you know, as happens over and over again in, in the book of Judges, the people, the last judge had died, the people turned away from God, and then a, a foreign ruler uh, basically took controlled them, took over, and they were underneath this foreign kingdom. And Deborah was giving, uh, she was a prophetess, she, she was sharing wisdom and discernment to the people who would come and and uh, so she would be well known in the area, and she was, and you know, deciding disputes. And Barack, you know, we don't know. It it kind of reads like if someone said this in modern day today, it would be like, don't you already know God has called you to this? So I don't know if she's saying that or that was just the manner of speech back then because I could definitely see that, you know, being the case. But anyways, he's called to it. He's scared to go without her being there. And she says, well, if, if I go without you, if you go without me, you'll get the glory. If you go with me, I'm going to get the glory. And so it's true. We know Deborah's name. Barack's not such a famous name unless in the Arab world it's still famous. So that's all I have for today. Do you have anything? In Acts chapter 8, there's a lot happening. Uh, Saul ravages the church. He's happy about Stephen's execution, and he goes and he starts just breaking into the homes of believers and dragging them off to jail. And, and, but what the enemy means for harm, God uses for good, right? It ends up scattering many of the believers, and so they're scattered and preaching all about the world. So Philip ends up in Samaria, and he starts proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, right? And he's healing many, so many are amazed. Uh, but then we're introduced to Simon, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. See, this is the thing about magic. The enemy is completely fine with us thinking we are great with us thinking we are powerful. God is greater, more powerful than all, and he wants to do mighty things through us. But to operate in this, we must die to ourselves, be humble, so that he can operate through us. Magic is all about the idea that we can control the world. We can become God, right? Which is a... Which is a, a, a copy is the enemy can only copy of the fact that God wants us to be his sons, which are his heirs, which are one with him. The enemy wants us to think we can be God. So the people go around saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. 
It's all about him, see? And he did have power. It's foolishness to think that there is no powerful that people can use supplied by the enemy. We were made to be spiritual beings. So even if we're not um, following the Lord, that doesn't make spiritual realities any less real, right? And so people that are into magic can tap into those things. And so it's very dangerous because then you're allowing the enemy complete control in your life. And he's perfectly fine thinking you that you've got a little thinking that you have a little bit of power so that he can control you. You see that? And so that's what he's doing. And and so then, but people start coming to the Lord because of Philip. They see everything that's doing. They, they believe. And even Simon gets baptized. And then Peter and John show up and they see, you know, okay, it's wonderful. They've accepted the Lord in name. They've been baptized in water, but they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. Anyone, I had a friend that led me to Christ who said he investigated and he, he's part of, there's part of the church that just doesn't believe that there's such a thing as baptism by the Holy Spirit that is separate from baptism by water because they don't experience it. Therefore, they assume this is a common problem we have to always watch out for in ourselves. Because my experience falls short of the truth of Scripture, I'm going to assume the Scripture means my experience is correct. Do you see the fallacy of that? There are many people who believe, well, no one I know in my church circle has experienced a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit, and therefore it must be the same as the baptism of water. Well, you can read Acts, and it couldn't be more clear that they're separate things. It's very clear in this chapter, right? He, they've all been baptized in water. They have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John come to baptize these people with the Holy Spirit. And then Simon says, give me this power. I want this power. Ten, 20. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And so we see that this magic, it's all about himself, right? And then he's like, oh, I, I got to get that more, more power for myself. I got to be able to do that. And so he's coming at it from the wrong heart. Peter sees this and says, your heart is not right before the Lord. You need to repent and turn back towards God. And then we see Philip. This is kind of the chapter of Philip, right? And uh, the angel of the Lord and angel of the Lord tells Philip to go down to the desert area. He meets the eunuch from Ethiopia the queen's eunuch and treasurer, I think he was, wasn't he? And, um, and he's reading. Can you imagine? So the Lord sends you on a mission. This is, God does these kinds of things. And it's all, that's why we need to always be open to what God is doing. Where's God moving today? How am I walking with God? Am I, am I open to seeing what God is going to show me? So God sends him on this mission. He has no idea what he's going to encounter, you know? He doesn't know he's going to be an Ethiopian. He doesn't know anything. He just knows God said, go this way. So he's going that way. And he sees an Ethiopian. And what is he reading? He's reading the scripture. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens his mouth. Can you imagine Philip comes on this man and he's reading that? 
Like, whoa, what an amazing opportunity. There's lots of scripture and lots of, and there's quite a bit of scripture that points directly to the obviousness that Jesus was Messiah, right? But the vast majority of scripture does not point so clearly to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Wait, so Philip just was like walking, walking, walking. He sees someone reading it. Oh. Yeah, I think he was on like a carriage. car carriage. Yeah, uh, he's he's the emissary of the queen, so he's probably had a real fancy carriage. And um, but he's reading, and Philip sees this, and he's, so it's a perfect opportunity, right? He's like, "Oh, I see God moving here. This is where God wants me to be. This is why I'm here, right?" So he just asks a simple question: "Do you understand what you're reading?" And see, God's moving. So he doesn't have to be super smart. He doesn't have to say the perfect thing. God is moving. All he has to do is do his part. You see that? And so he says, how do I understand it? Someone needs to explain this to me. Well, okay. Here's the gospel, right? And so then he goes on to teach about Jesus and his kingdom. So it's just God opens the opportunity. He could have said exactly what he said to somebody else. And it wouldn't have done any good because God wasn't in it. But God was in this. And so this man came to Christ, right? And then he teleports Philip away to somewhere else. It's pretty cool, huh? You know what teleporting is? It's like when yeah. you're one place and then all of a sudden you're... Yeah. Oh, wait, you had a friend who teleported in the bathroom to Japan. Oh, not a friend. It's a third hand story. But... But I love that story. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? what? He, he was, was like, in the back. God told him go to Japan. He thought, okay, so when I get in the line, someone's going to give me money so I can buy a plane ticket and then go to Japan. So he got in the line. When he got to the front, he was like, oh, excuse me. And he went back to the back of the line. And he did that several times. And then he had to go to the bathroom. So he went in the bathroom. And when he walked out, he, he was in the j airport in Japan. Yeah, Cal Pierce told this story about somebody in his ministry that, um, yeah, God told him that he was going to go to Japan. He's like, I don't have any money to go to Japan. He's like, well, go to the airport. Okay, so he was obedient. He thought somebody was going to give him money while he was standing in line. And so he, like Weston said, he got to the front of the line. No one handed him any money. So he got back in the back of the line, did this a couple times. No one's giving him any money. How am I supposed to get to Japan, God? He goes into the bathroom and then does his business. When he comes out of the bathroom, he's looking around. Whoa, he's in Japan. He's in Tokyo. I think it's Tokyo. I don't know, somewhere in Japan. Um, so he could go do what God was sending him to do. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? He's just like, oh, I need to poop. Ooh, okay. my poop. <laughs> in Jeremiah 17, it's interesting. For one, he, he talks about the sin of Judah, that Judah's going to be judged. Um... But then he goes, and he gives kind of a cool, this is the whole story of scripture, right? And it, he, I like the way it's set out. He's basically, you can choose a life of blessing, or you can choose a cursed life. It's up to you. And he gives it a couple verses on each. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So cursed is the man who trusts in his own abilities, his own power, right? Or the power of other people. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. 
So basically, there's not going to be fruit in your life. It's going to be a difficult, hard scrapple life. And the opposite is seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So, you see, in both cases, difficult heat comes where there's no rain. And if you're, if you're some, you know, we're in modern life, we don't grow our own food very often, right? So we kind of are disassociated from this. But back then, everyone, you're well aware, depending on what the weather does, like that depends on how well you eat, right? And so... And so he's basically saying those who rely on themselves are not going to eat very well. They're going to be hungry. He's saying the hard times come for those who are blessed also, but because their roots are deep, because they trust in the Lord, they're taken care of. They eat in the hard times. You see that? Okay. The nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So it's like a proverb right in the middle of this, right? Or right after that part we just read and after other things are unrelated, he gives a proverb. But he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So he's, he's saying, I'm always aware no matter what's going on in the world. I'm always here and I'm always watching. Are you living your life with me, for me? I will take care of you. I will lead you in your ways. If you're living your life for your own purposes, you know, you're, you're open to whatever troubles this world has for you. You've, that's, that's a cursed life, right? Cursed life might seem perfectly fine and fun a lot of the times. But because you don't have the protection of the Lord, when difficult times come, you, you're, you're vulnerable to all of it. But he says, I'm watching the hearts and I take care of my own. So when difficult times come, mine are blessed. And we end in Mark 3. I'm not a big fan of doing all of the Gospels back to back. Last year when we did it, I spread them out because I always feel like we just talked about all these things like a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, and so I did find it interesting. We just read in Jeremiah, we didn't comment on it, but the last part, or at least I didn't comment on it. The last part of Jeremiah talked about keeping the Sabbath sacred and in this, so you can see why when we read that, why they're always so upset when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, right? It was one of the, one of the major commandments from God, it was over and over again talked about by the prophets. Like God made a really big deal about the Sabbath being holy and not working on that day, but trusting in him. So when Jesus would go around healing on the Sabbath, it really messed him up. And so he is intentionally bringing to a head their religion versus the love of God and the reality of God, the life of God, right? And he's bringing this out to see what's more important to you. And it's almost unfair unless he just knows their hearts 
and he knows their hearts aren't willing to go in the way of God because God hammered that point home so often that keep the Sabbath holy. And at times they hadn't done it. And that was a big reason they were judged in the past. So you can see how difficult this was for them, right? But his point is, I am Lord of the Sabbath. If your heart is for me, you will see me here now doing these things in front of you. And you will open your eyes to a new wisdom that I'm revealing. And even his family, we see his, you know, I'm not going to go through all the stories that the 12 are appointed as his apostles. Um, But his family hears about what he's doing and they come. And what is his family saying? They're saying he is out of his mind. Now, his mother knew from, from before he was, before she was even pregnant that she was going to have the Messiah, right? And then she had that confirmed after he was born in multiple miraculous ways. But she still thinks her understanding of what the Messiah should be is more correct than her son, the Messiah. You see that? You see how powerful culture and religion are? And how difficult? We're just I don't think we're recording them, but we're talking about Jesus says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. All these things are violence against the kingdom of heaven. But the violent take the kingdom of heaven by force. He says we violently have to separate ourselves from the thinking of the world, the ways of the world, which is not easy because we were brought up in this way. That's why sometimes it's easier for missionaries to go be missionaries in a foreign place because it's a foreign culture. They don't know anybody. It's easier to follow the Lord in that way than it is when you're surrounded by the culture that you grew up in and people that you're familiar with. It's more challenging to do it in an environment where you're comfortable because our comfort level is to slip into the ways of the world around us. But God says, I am doing a new thing. Jesus said, I make all things new. Come to me. Carry your cross and follow me. And I will bring you into this new kingdom life. You see that? So Lord, help us. Help us open our eyes and our ears to make us aware of what you are leading us into. How we should set our hearts and minds and what they are filled with, Lord. Lead us into the fullness of your life, that we think, that we speak, and that we do as you think, speak, and do. Not as the world around us does, not as we've been brought up. Bless your holy name in us. Lord, help us to be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name. you have anything else? No. God bless you. God bless you.